You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressandcrest.org. Well, I want to welcome you back to Road Talk today. I hope that you have had a great week and that the Lord will bless you with another great week in the days to come. As I am recording this podcast today, we are taking just a very brief break from our series interviewing the different ministers here at Preston Crest, and I just wanted to provide a very brief uh, Easter devotional thought for you today as we think about and celebrate the greatest event in the history of mankind. I've always been fascinated by the American Revolution, how the colonists came together, knowing that if they lost, they would be killed for treason, but fighting anyway for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's interesting how history records that war. The British and the American colonies remembered it very differently. John Adams, the second president of the United States, called the war our glorious revolution. But the British referred to it as the battle when the colonies were lost. The same event was defined by two drastically different perceptions. The Americans said it was the greatest thing this world has ever seen. But the British said, no, it was just a little conflict when we lost some land. Our faith works the same way. We remember spiritual events differently, and I guess that's based on our experiences. For example, what about the cross? Some say it was the day when Jesus died. Others might say, well, it was more than that. It was the day when Jesus really showed us what love is all about. Or the day of Pentecost. We could say, that was a neat occasion when the Apostle Peter preached a really good sermon and the day that the church began. Or we could say, now this was the promised day from the days of the prophet Joel when the Holy Spirit finally descended from above, the Comforter was finally on earth, 3,000 people were baptized. Maybe even something as simple as every Sunday, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. Some look at that on the calendar and say, well... That's just the day that God wants us to assemble together to worship Him. But others might say, 
It's my favorite day of the week. When I unplug from this world and I plug back into God, it is a moment where I can be challenged, taught, and convicted. All of those statements are true, but what's different? It's the perception. It's how people see it. In this podcast episode, we're going to discuss another spiritual event that people around the world, they all acknowledge, but they remember it very differently, and that is the resurrection of Jesus. It's what the religious world has called Easter, Resurrection Sunday. Church buildings this last Sunday were full, even after a pandemic, even with those who only attend once a year, because they want to make sure to remember the resurrection. But I want to specifically ask you, when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, how do you see it? Is it simply the day that Jesus walked out of the tomb? Or is it the apex, the crux, the defining moment of who we are as God's people? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the great resurrection chapter. Paul says that he passed it on to the church of Corinth as of first importance, that Christ died, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. But in the same chapter, Paul gives four reasons why the resurrection is so important, four reasons that help us understand how we see it. First of all, Paul says that without the resurrection, we're useless. He wrote in verse 14 that if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. For decades, the apostles had been preaching the vitality of the resurrection, the third leg of the, school, of the stool to the gospel message. And Paul asked in verses 12 through 13 if that preaching had been taking place, then how could people say that the resurrection had not occurred? If the resurrection wasn't true then all of the preaching and teaching wasn't true, as well as the faith that came from it. Have you ever felt like you were wasting your time? Kids in school often say, when will I ever use this? And to be honest, sometimes they're right. I remember when I was in college thinking to myself, when am I ever going to use art appreciation? In fact, the only thing that I really remember about that class is I did not appreciate that art as much as my professor did. Or when have I ever used long division? There are some things in life that you have to learn that you really won't use later on. Wouldn't it be disheartening if that was true about the resurrection? That what we know about it is just useless for our faith? Even our gatherings on Sunday would be useless if the resurrection was not true. The beautiful singing, the songs lifted to God, would they serve a purpose if Jesus was still in the tomb? 
The prayers that we pray together, asking for God's blessing, asking for his power in the lives of our brothers and sisters, would they even matter if the resurrection was not true? The preaching that we hear week after week, diving into God's word, pulling out truths for Christian living, would it matter if the resurrection was not true? The answer is no. None of it would matter. Because without the resurrection, we're useless. Secondly, without the resurrection, we're deceptive. In that same chapter, in verses 15 and 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul wrote, More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. The Corinthians, simply based on where they were geographically, were influenced by both Roman and Greek thinking about the afterlife. They believed in the resurrection of the soul, but they did not believe that a body would be resurrected with it. So at first blush, this whole idea of Jesus physically walking out of the tomb was in their minds nonsense, foolishness. But beyond the theological debate of body and soul, Paul makes a very powerful point. We can't accept the resurrection of one man, Jesus Christ, but then deny the resurrection of everyone else. They either both happen, or they neither happen. To say we can separate the two is deceptive. It's false testimony of all the things that we should not lie about. We certainly want to, do not want to be deceitful about God's nature. We take great hope in the promise that we, like Jesus, will continue to live once our lives on earth are over. I know many listening to this have recently lost loved ones. We often say at funerals or we say in hospital rooms, you will see them again. This is not goodbye, rather this is see you later. And as comforting as those words are, it's only true if the resurrection is true. We will only defeat death if Jesus defeated death first. Jesus asked Martha in John eleven twenty five through 26, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha said, yes. Hopefully, you can say yes. But that answer of yes hinges on Jesus' resurrection. If it is not real, nothing is real. Third, without the resurrection, Paul says, we're condemned. He wrote in verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. 
Now we ask the question, how exactly does that work? If Christ died for my sins on the cross, what does the empty tomb have anything to do with my forgiveness? And Paul answered that question, Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Paul says that Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. Both events had to occur to complete the atonement process, the death and the resurrection which is why we must do both as well in baptism. We must be buried and we must be raised to be united with Christ for our atonement process to be complete. Now that gives us a whole new way to see the resurrection. Jesus did not just walk out of death. Jesus walked into the eternal life that he promises us. If Jesus was still in the tomb, we would still be dead in our transgressions. Which means we can get baptized, but if the resurrection wasn't real, well, who cares? Because we are still dead in our sins. We can love God, we can love our neighbor. The two greatest commandments. But if the resurrection wasn't real, who cares? We're still dead in our sins. We can tell people, you know, if you're in Christ, the guilt and the grief of your sins, they don't have to hover over your life. But if there was no resurrection, well, we would have every reason to feel guilty because we would be found guilty. But because of the resurrection, we are not condemned. Paul confirmed that, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, when Paul said, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And finally, the last one that Paul mentions, without the resurrection, we are pitied. Paul makes it very clear in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Have you ever known someone who believed a lie, but then they were so passionate about that lie which they believed? Maybe it's an investment opportunity. How many millions of dollars have been invested over the years in pyramid schemes, only later on to lose everything. Remember this company named Enron in Houston many years ago? Does the name Bernie Madoff ring a bell? Or think about people who have believed the lie of Publisher's House, that someone's really going to show up on their doorstep with a check for more money than they've ever made in their entire life because they gave just a little bit of money up front. Many years ago, at a church where I was serving, an elderly couple who worked hard their entire lives gave all of their retirement to companies like this, thinking that if they gave a little bit at a time, they would win more than they had ever made. And they lost everything. 
Sometimes people believe a lie not because they're passionate, just because they're paranoid. Back in 2000, with the Y2K event, I knew a man who invested all kinds of money into getting ready with bunkers and non-perishable food because he was convinced that the banks and the computers were going to crash. And in January of 2000, he had bunkers, frozen food, non-perishable items coming out of his ears. But my family, we went to Outback, enjoyed a steak, and used our credit card. Sometimes people believe what they want to believe because someone influential has led them down that path, like David Koresh in Waco, Texas, many years ago, who believed he was the Messiah and convinced 79 other people to die with him to that end because they had totally and completely been brainwashed. They were so convinced. And America watched from a distance over the television and listened on the radio, and grieved the tragedy. And the Apostle Paul says, if the resurrection of Jesus was not real, we would be just like all of those confused, pitied people. We would pour our hopes, our dreams, and even our money into a lunatic leader who was a liar. You see, without the resurrection, every domino falls. But thanks be to God, that's not the case. Because of the resurrection, we aren't pitied, we're envied. Because we can live with joy and with peace. And the world will desperately want what Christians have. Yes, the resurrection of Jesus is the greatest story ever told. Paul said it was of first importance. And if I only had one more sermon to preach, it would have to be on the resurrection. But here's the thing. Even though the resurrection is the greatest story ever told, we don't tell it as much as we should. When we talk about the resurrection, our mind immediately goes to the Lord's Supper. But that's not the only place where we should be talking about the resurrection. And if it is, we don't even graze the surface of its importance. That story must be the story of our lives. And in our world today, when people talk about the church, it's usually about what we're against. And let me be clear, there are some things in this life and there are some things in the religious world that the Lord's church needs to be against. But I sincerely hope that we are not remembered as much by the things that we're against but by the things that we are for. I hope that when people talk about the church, they say, those people, they really love the resurrection of Jesus. Everything they do in life, they do because the tomb is empty.
They understand the magnitude of that moment. And they know that since Jesus defeated death, well, they can too. John Adams called our battle for independence our glorious revolution. The British called it the battle when the colonies were lost. How do you see the resurrection? Is it the day that Jesus left the tomb? Or is it that moment in time that defines who you are? Both perceptions are right, but only one matters. And it's my prayer today that you will choose the right perception. Have a great rest of the week. Keep your eyes on heaven. And we will talk to you next time.